If you will, make your way to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, and verse 13. We're going to focus on verses 13 through 21, and I'll read those here in just a moment. And a message entitled, How to Be Rich Toward God. The cover of Forbes magazine on September the 15th of 2020 carried the headline, The Billionaire Who Wanted to Die Broke is Now Officially Broke. Chuck Feeney, the former billionaire co-founder of the retail giant Duty Free Shoppers and the private equity firm General Atlantic, has given away all his money to charity. Now 89 years old, Feeney has given away more than $8 billion, most of it anonymously. He's been called the James Bond of philanthropy. He's notoriously frugal in his personal life. He said, since my earliest days, I've been frugal, but I am a frugal person in that I hate waste at any level. He wears a cheap Timex watch and flew coach until he was 75 years old and bought used cars. On giving, Feeney said, I see little reason to delay giving when so much good can be achieved through supporting worthwhile causes. Besides, it's a lot more fun to give while you live than give while you're dead. Raised in an Irish Catholic background, uh, current information on his faith perspective is difficult to come by, but Feeney understands this principle well. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He said money has an attraction for some people, but you can't wear two pairs of shoes at one time. Jesus had been teaching on our value to God and the importance of giving a confession of faith in him and of not being ashamed of him. The responsibility we have in both our words and in our lives to live for him and to be unashamed, to tell other people about him. And in the midst of that teaching, a man interrupts him. And when he interrupts him, he wants him to settle a financial dispute. And Jesus used that moment, he used that interruption uh, to teach the crowd on how to be rich toward God. And there's some lessons here for us that we can apply to our own lives to be sure that we're keeping things in perspective as we should and managing life faithfully as God has called us to. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, the word of God says, then one from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, verse 18, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many good goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, 
Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Verse 21. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. First of all, if you want to be rich toward God, you need to avoid covetous greed. Now, I've combined these two words, covet and greed, and I'll explain why here in just a moment, because I think there is some nuance in the significance of what these words mean. It's translated both ways, depending on your translation. But there was a man in the crowd who said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. See, according to the law of that day, the oldest brother would receive the greatest portion of the inheritance and the younger brother would receive the smaller portion. But the man was not actually seeking fairness. He wanted Jesus to take a side. He wanted Jesus to position himself with where the man was so that he could get what he thought was rightfully his. And Jesus replies to him and says, a man who made me a judge and arbitrator over you. Now, I think Jesus was concerned about justice. I think Jesus was concerned about equity in the situation. But he knew that there was a greater problem in this circumstance that was not related to an issue, issue of justice. It was not related to an issue of equity. This man had a problem with coveting what his brother had. And he had a problem with greed of wanting more. So Jesus issues the warning. Take heed and beware of covetousness or greed. Uh, the word here is covet or greed, as I've mentioned. It means to lust after or to want something that somebody else has. And it also means simply to want more than what you have. So it's the desire to get more. And if that means getting what somebody else has or wanting what somebody else has, then that would be part of it. The Baker Evangelical Dictionary said, covetousness is basic to the commandments against murder, adultery, stealing, and lying. In fact, those who accept bribes are coveting, leading to murder. Coveting a neighbor's wife is a form of adultery. Achan admitted to coveting a robe and silver and gold, so he stole them, which was a sin against the Lord. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, coveted the property of Naaman so much that he lied to get what he wanted from Naaman the leper and was struck with leprosy. Proverbs warns that a covetous person brings trouble to his family. So covetousness is a root of all kinds of sin, and Jesus is giving a warning, and he's telling us to be careful of this and to beware of it. The Tenth Commandment, after all, tells us that we're not to covet. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10 says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. With the conclusion being, this too is meaningless. So the concern is with your heart. Understand that riches are not inherently wrong. Money and resources can and should be used for good, they should be used faithfully. There are any number of examples in the scripture of people who were blessed significantly with resources, whether it be Job or 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and others who enjoyed the blessing of God and who were people of means. But the danger is in developing this inner jealousy and envy and greed for something that you think you should have or something that you think you deserve in some way. And that becomes very dangerous for all of us, spiritually speaking. So the truth is we're all under attack in this area. We're all prone uh, toward this direction. Where does it come from? It comes from within. We're all sin comes from. James chapter 1 and verse 14 says, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then verse 15, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. Or what about what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the beginning in verse 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from their faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So while money and resources are neutral, we exchange them for things of value. We use them either for good or for selfish reasons. And the key to it all is to be grateful to God and live in light of eternity, knowing that this life is not all there is. And coveting and greed steals contentment and peace in our lives. But on the other hand, gratitude builds contentment and grows peace in our lives. And we want to be a grateful people rather than a greedy people. We want to be a content people rather than a discontent people. Second, if you want to be rich toward God, you need to avoid presumptive arrogance. Jesus turns his attention here to a parable to illustrate his point. He says there was a rich man, a farmer who had ground that had yielded plentifully. In fact, it it had yielded in abundance. So evidently he was a pretty good farmer and he had been blessed as far as what his ground had yielded. He didn't even need the crop because his barns were already full, but he had so much that it was overflowing and he didn't know what to do with it or where to store his crops. So he asked the question. He asked himself. He's starting to have a conversation with himself. And he asked the question, what shall I do? And in that moment, his mind was on scheming and planning how to hoard what he had and how to get more. I think he's the definition of a materialist. He was wrapped up in himself. His selfishness is revealed in his words. He says, my repeatedly in this short passage. I, there's a focus on himself. But you see, that's what happens when we begin to pursue things as the priority of our lives. We get just a taste of it, but the taste of it never satisfies. And if our contentment is not found in God, we can find ourselves at the end of the road dissatisfied with everything that we have, even if we have everything. 
And there's a story of a man who, whose boat capsized at sea. He got into the life raft and he began to drift aimlessly and he began to develop a terrible thirst. So what did he do? He dipped his finger in the salt water and he put it on his tongue. That made him want more, so he drank more and more, and he became thirstier still. And the more he drank, the sicker he got to the point that it actually dehydrated him and killed him. It's similar in the way that we pursue riches, the way that we pursue material things. We dip our finger in it, and we think that's going to make us happy. And we get it, and we're not happy. And then we get some more, and we're still not happy. And we see this over and over again, even in our culture. And there's a, there's a real sense in which having more just complicates life because you got more to take care of. Not only do you have more to take care of, but it complicates life because you got to generate more to take care of the more that you got. And it becomes this endless cycle. So the man says in verse 18, I'll do this. He comes up with his own solution. I'll pull my barns down and I'll just build greater and I'll store all my crops and my goods. And then I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now we discover the reason for the greed and why he wanted to build bigger barns. It wasn't so that he could help others. It was so that he could hoard the wealth for himself. What was he doing? He was basing his future on his possessions. He thought a full barn was going to guarantee a full and satisfying life. He thought that what he had was the essence of his security. He thought that the stuff that he'd accumulated was what was going to bring him security and happiness. And friends, we see this repeated over and again when people's hearts are not in the right place. Again, there's nothing wrong with having material things. There's nothing wrong with being blessed financially. There's nothing wrong with working hard. You should work hard. You should plan. You should look to the future. There are many Bible verses that relate to this. But the problem comes when we arrogantly begin to believe that we've done it that it's all because of us. And I think we also see this principle applied at times in our culture with people who go all in in their lives, in their work, and they're working toward that finish line called retirement. So they put off uh, doing things because they're going to do them later. And they accumulate and they accumulate and they accumulate because they're trying to get to that finish line. They're trying to be like this rich farmer who said, I'm going to take my ease and eat, drink, and be merry. But what have you seen over again in many people's lives who've had that mentality? I'm not talking about prudent planning and all that. All that's important and it's it's wise. But I'm talking about doing everything you can so that you'll be at a life of ease at some point. What happens? Oftentimes health is fleeting. Maybe there's a death of a loved one. Maybe something happens in the markets and it doesn't go the way that you thought it was going to go with what you had invested. And there are any number of reasons why this is not a good idea. 
You see, this man had no need to trust in God because he had all he needed. He assumed that he had many years to live, and he assumed that what he had would satisfy his soul. So instead of investing his resources wisely, he decided to take it easy and eat and drink and be merry. This man's highest goal in life was to satisfy himself. And how many people in our culture, their absolute highest goal in life is to satisfy themselves? This cannot be who we are as Christians God gives to us abundantly and blesses us beyond measure. But yet we do not serve the things that we have. We serve God and we invest eternally. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. What is mammon? Mammon is wealth personified. It represents material things that we possess or want or those things that uh, we can use for God's kingdom and glory or as idols. And listen, here's an important point in all of this. There are some people sitting here listening to this message today and they're thinking, well, I don't have much. This doesn't apply to me. Wrong. And here's why. A person with limited means can be just as covetous and greedy, if not more, than a person with great means. It's not measured by how much you have. It's measured by the attitude of your heart and by what you do with what you have. This is not limited to the amount that we have. It's the attitude of our hearts. Hebrews 13 and verse 5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So here was this man when he reached what he thought was the peak of success. And God says to him, I got something else to say to you. And that takes me to the third point. If you want to be rich toward God, avoid foolish denial. Verse 20, God said to him, fool. This night, your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? In one night, all of the man's accomplishments, all of the man's plans came to nothing. And can you imagine God, the creator and the judge of all, looking at your life and the designation that he gives of your life is that you are a fool? Because of how you've responded to him. Psalm 53 and verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. And I want you to note here that the man was a fool, not because he was rich. The man was a fool because he lived with no awareness of God or eternity. And it's the same for anyone who lays up for himself Treasures rather than being rich toward God. It's utterly foolish. William Henderson, the Bible teacher, pointed out that the rich fool made two mistakes. He said, number one, he didn't understand himself. Oh, he was an expert in tending the soil, but he was an imbecile at tending his soul. The second mistake that he made was he didn't care about others. All he could see was himself. 
And God says to the man, your soul will be required of you. This is the language of obligation. Every human being owes their life, their livelihood, their health to God. And every human being owes the very existence of their soul to God. And we will be accountable to him. And friend, if that doesn't take you to a place where you want to be faithful with what God's entrusted to you, if that doesn't call you to a place of faithful stewardship, if that doesn't call you to a place of generosity in your life and caring for others and blessing others and giving to what God is doing in the world, then you've missed the entirety of the point because that really is the heart of this entire message. That it's about the heart. And I think people would have looked at this man and thought, he's done well. He's a great success. I think he would have been well admired. He was a good farmer. He had accumulated a lot of stuff. He obviously planned and knew how to do things. But what was his fatal mistake, spiritually speaking? He based everything on this life. And on the basis of what he could see and hold on to. And he forgot that there is another world for which all people must prepare. And we cannot afford to ignore God. We cannot afford to ignore judgment and eternity. And we'll leave everything that we have here behind. Except those things that we've sent on ahead like the story of the two friends that were at the funeral of a wealthy man. One friend looked at the other and he said, how much do you think he left behind? And the other friend looked at him and said, all of it. All of it. We're not going to take any of it with us. But we can send it on ahead. We can seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We have a choice of how we're going to invest our lives. And while the world says that life consists of things, God says life consists of being rightly related to him and to others. Our goal is not just to enjoy life for selfish reasons. Our goal is to enjoy the life that God has blessed us with so that we can bring honor and glory to him in all things. And ironically, this rich man left the world poorer than the poorest beggar. How many people in this world are sincere people? Nice people, generally speaking. But are greedy materialists at heart. I say to you as I come to order to close this message today. Do not lay up treasure for yourself. Rather, be rich toward God. And I want to share with you just briefly how you can do that. Just some practical application here. First of all, God is the greatest giver of all. He has superabundantly blessed the world through His Son, Jesus Christ. God sent His only Son into this world to live and to die and to now live again so that we might have everlasting life. It's the greatest gift that's ever been given. But like any gift, a gift has to be received. 
And God offers this gift to all who will turn from their sins and turn to Jesus for salvation. And God will bless you with forgiveness, reconciliation with him, and everlasting life. The gospel is all about the generosity of God eternally. And when we look to this generosity of God eternally, our first and only right response to him is to surrender our lives to to him in all things. To offer up your body as a living sacrifice to God that is holy and acceptable to him. Surrender your life to God. And as you surrender your life to God, as you surrender yourself to him, set the priority of your life on the kingdom of God. You've got to have some main principle that is pulling your life forward, that is propelling you toward a desired goal. And that purpose is to glorify God in all things. And the way that we glorify God in all things is to know him and to set his priority as our priority. And then I want to encourage you to share your resources in doing good. Doing God's work in the world. Blessing people who are in need. Advancing the gospel. Living a generous life. Now remember, you don't have to have a lot to be generous. You just have to be generous. To be generous. And if you are thinking, I'm going to be generous someday when I get more, you're not going to be generous when you get more. If you're selfish and greedy when you don't have much, it's not going to change when you get more unless something happens in your life that would transform you to be a generous person with how you live. We serve a generous God, and he wants us to be a generous people. I close with this story. There's a man by the name of Johnson Oatman Jr., who was born in 1856 in Lumberton, New Jersey. His dad was a local merchant in town, and by all accounts had the absolute best singing voice in the city. Younger Oatman could not sing as well as his father, uh, but he wanted to make his mark on the world as well and wanted to make his musical contribution. For a while, he studied for ministry, but he went on to write more than 5,000 songs. And those songs were his contribution uh, to preaching the gospel in the world. And he wrote the song that we're all familiar with, Count Your Blessings, in 1897. And it immediately became popular. We're going to sing two verses of it in just a moment for our closing song. And I say to you, when we're tempted to lapse into a state of ingratitude and take for granted how good God has been to us, we can count our blessings and we can name them one by one. And when we do, God will remind us of how good he's been to us. Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray. I don't know where you're at today spiritually. The starting point for all of us is to be sure that we're right with God. God has been generous in giving us his only son. And he invites you to receive the gift of everlasting life. So today, I want to become a Christian. I want to take that step of faith. I want to be saved. The Bible says if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved.
Trust him in this moment. Receive what he has for you eternally. But I wonder about your life as a steward, as a manager of what the Lord has entrusted to you. Are there areas where you could be more faithful? Are there areas where the Lord might use you in greater ways? It truly is a matter of the heart. And maybe God's speaking to you about something that you need to take a step and do and and be and uh, find your place of faithfulness. Would you say yes to God? He uses people who surrender to him. Father, we thank you again for the blessing of being able to gather here today. All that we have has come from you. We're living and breathing because you've given us physical life. We can call you our Father because you've given us spiritual life. And I ask you, Lord, that you would find us faithful. And as we reflect on our blessings, that we would be mindful of how good you are to us in all things. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.